coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are. You're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. We're living in a world of transition these days because as we get older, we will start having to relinquish what we have and do to the next generation. And this generation is visibly different in more ways than we were different to the generation before us. Their values and their mission seems to be worlds apart from where we came from. My guest today is Joan Cool, who's mentored and coached thousands of millennials. She's a renowned millennial career expert and is in partnership with the Barnes & Noble College, which has over 725 college campus bookstores around the U.S. She's also co-author of the book called Peter Drucker's Five Most Important Questions. Joan is the founder of Why Millennials Matter, which is a consulting company based in New York, and she's going to enlighten us as to why millennials should matter. Welcome, Joan. Thank you, Veb. I'm thrilled to be here and excited for our conversation. So now you're a millennial expert. <laughs> yes. That means you've been going to a lot of college parties? Oh, no. Quite the opposite. Um, and I actually, I like to, I view myself as a millennial champion. So mm. as, as you mentioned, I do spend a lot of time on college campuses, but more so for the purpose of encouraging, inspiring, and, and sharing the advice and, and the, the learnings that I've had over time with young men and women to help them achieve their goals and feel like anything is possible. Now, just to be clear, what's the age range of the millennial? Great question. So I define the millennials as being born between 1980 and 2000. So they are age 15 to 34 right now. So a lot of misconceptions that we're talking about, the teenager in the backseat playing with their phone, but... These are also parents. Uh, they are working side-by-side side with you. They're running businesses, launching business, and, of course, they're in schools across the country. So all the way from mature students, so to speak, all the way up to, say, someone who would be in a, in a uh, mid-level corporate role. Exactly, exactly. Now, what makes you an expert on millennials? Well, my business, Why Millennials Matter, really arose out of my, my passion for spending time with young people and coaching them and mentoring them over the years, whether it was in nonprofit organizations or in my career. Mm. And so I just stayed on campus. I was a student, go- student government president when I was in college, so I was always very active and talking to my peers, but I stayed and continued to volunteer even while I was working. And then I started doing studies and digging deeper and doing focus groups. I started to really pay attention at work to what young people were complaining about, you know, why we were losing them, why they were walking out the door, why we couldn't attract them. And I felt that over time, the dots started to connect in terms of what it would take to empower and attract young people to companies, to organizations, and even to get them to be inspired to take action in their communities. So um, the culmination of all of that, um, my observations and my research, is really um, what I look to share in educating others. Wow. That's a lot of work. It sounds like a National Geographic documentary on an <laughs> unknown tribe. Um, you know, the typical, when, when my friends and I get together on the weekends or whatever, one of the topics we're always talking about is the millennials. You know, whether it's our children or young people these days at work. And... I want to share with you the stereotype that millennials have of themselves. And and that's, you know, one who 
seeks instant gratification, dismissive of emotions, uh, possibly lacks values, um, lazy, and a sense of entitlement, uh, delusional even. Is that... that is- I hear those things every day. I mm. think that there is a lot of negative noise um, about describing them as, as you just did, lazy, self-involved, entitled, way too dependent on their parents. They want to be CEO tomorrow but don't want to do the work. And I'll share with you the myth that kills me the most. Mm. Um, it's when people say that our young men and women today have unrealistic expectations about their future. I just believe you know, how confident would you be about your goals and your dreams if someone put that heavy weight on your shoulders? There's, all good, there's always going to be teenagers and 20-somethings, but I have seen, worked with, and done research to prove just the exact opposite about the, you know, really the values and the motivators of, of our youngest generation. Well, you know, part of the problem also lies in us in that because we feel they have access to so much information, um, they have access to so much technology. They probably are have more resources available to them than we did. We actually might think wrongly that they're able to make better decisions. That's a great point. I, I in the conversations I have with students, we talk about the fact that you would believe that they should know all these things about how to launch a successful career, about how to communicate properly, how to build relationships that matter. But actually, the Internet's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to all of us. There's so much information. Sometimes there's conflicting information Mm. that it almost paralyzes them. And that could be misconstrued as being lazy. And they're really just looking for mentors, for guides, uh, for their parents, for their teachers, for their bosses, their supervisors, to cut through that noise and just really talk to them directly, speak to them about um, their own path to success and, and help them really understand what they can do to achieve their goals. Well, you know, um, w- can they choose wisely based on all the resources they have? That's, that's I guess, one of our uh, biggest concerns. But let me reverse the question. We know or we think we know what the stereotype millennial is. I'd like to know, what do they think? How do they stereotype us? It's oh, a great point. Um, so I believe that they are – they're – Millennials today, young men and women, they're desperate for for that guidance, for that mentorship, for role models that have a real track record of positively impacting their community, caring about the world, even while they're growing in their career or whatever they do at work. So they're looking for that type of, of guidance and role model, and I think they're struggling to find it. They get frustrated because to your point about when you talk to your friends on the weekends, you talk to other parents, or we hear bosses or supervisors complaining about young people today, there's, there's miscommunication on both sides. So the, the, on the millennial side, what they see is a lack of patience for them and this dismissive attitude, as I mentioned before. And at the end of the day, that conflicts with what they grew up being encouraged to do. 
they grew up looking at their parents as peers. They, it was okay for them to weigh in on the decision of where do we go on family vacation, what phone do we buy, um, you know, why are we doing this or that over the weekend. And so then they go off to college, or even if they go right into the workplace, they are very confused why no one is rolling out the red carpet to say, hey, share your idea. Um, let, you, you know, you have an idea about the next product launch, go ahead, talk to the CEO about it. Or um, here, you can take on our biggest customer and deal with them today. You're ready. So they, they feel like they have something to offer, and they, you know, they were always encouraged to be that way from their parents, particularly baby boomer parents. Mm. And then the door is slammed right in their face. Well, talking about them choosing wisely, like I said uh, earlier, um, obviously they don't they lack experience because you you know experience also comes through age. Um, but you're right. I think you know they are confused. Um, taking that forward, they they seem to mistake information for knowledge and experience. But I also find they like to fix things that aren't broke. They think change for change's sake is progress. They're almost out there to undo what we do. Yes, they're all about disruption, you know, changing media, auto, all of that. Well, you know, first to answer your question about the decision-making, one of the things that, that we found when we studied today's college students was that they – they know that they have to be strong communicators. They know that for them to be successful, they have to display critical thinking and, and good judgment. Mm. But they also shared that they have a very low level of confidence in that area, in all those areas. So it's almost recognizing, I know that this is what I need to, uh, to really be successful in the world today personally and professionally, but I feel behind, and I don't know what to do about that. And that's why, you know, I'm very passionate about the fact that we don't have enough training available for them, and that that's a huge opportunity uh, for schools and for companies to invest in training them. And then to your point about, they've got a lot of ideas, and they grew up as digital natives. You know, they watched more uh, soccer than football. They, um, that's why I call them the first global generation in my, fir- in my first book. So they, they saw some transformative ideas around the world, and they, they want to be a part of that. And uh, so there is, you know, there's a push and pull there and that we want to encourage them to help us innovate, to help us evolve um, our business, our communities, the way we do business, the way we you know, our transportation, all of, they have so many ideas, but at the same time, they need mentors to show them what's realistic, you know, give them the opportunity to share their ideas, but also teach them about, you know, how business strategy works. Makes you wonder, though, um, are they the hippies of the 21st century? Well, I think that there are some commonalities and that they really, you know, they define success through personal fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, maybe the similarities there about there has to be more than just, you know, money. Money and recognition and fame, that's not what gets them going. That's not what excites them. It's, It's making a difference in the world. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that there's, those are the commonalities among generations that we should focus on, the positive for everyone to feel 
um, like they are working together and communicating, getting along better. You talk about making a difference in the world. What's their global perspective? Well, they are the most diverse generation than any other generation, um, and I see them as being more tolerant as well. So they're um, a lot more informed about what's happening around the world, as as you'd hope we all are, because now the Internet's been the, the, the great connector. Um, they do a lot more volunteering than any other generation. Um, they're very interested in traveling around the world, too, and, and not, not for the purposes of of maybe what previous generations are are doing as tourists. They don't want to just be tourists. They want to be active participants in the culture. They want to roll up their sleeves um, and volunteer. So that is, um, I think, the biggest difference in terms of how they see the world and how they want to make a difference. But are they keen on being voluntary and, and, and uh, only because there aren't enough jobs to go around, so it's the best way to pad the resume? I think there's some misperceptions there. I, I know that they are encouraged, you know, to volunteer because there are, you know, some. There, it's a great path for you to build skills when sometimes you can't build those skills in the workplace. Um, but second, I think that if you talk to young men and women that have been really um, active in their volunteering or a cause or they had an initiative that they're passionate about, I think that the genuine and authentic values and motivators will shine through. Um, I, you know, I think that nowadays a lot of students, even if they're taking the, those gap years where you know, they want to travel between, between school and starting a job, mm. um, I, don't know, I don't believe that it's necessarily because they can't find a job. It's because they're still trying to make a connection between what excites them, you know, the, the, the impact they want to make in the world, and what job would be a result of it. And there's some really great schools that are trying to help make sure that they aren't, again, just traveling, that they are, you know, working at local organizations, even if they're nonprofits, to see what kind of skills are a best fit for their strengths. Let's talk about their values and how it gets played into what their political perspective is. Um, you know, when we were growing up, we, we were brought up on words like honor, code, loyalty, and that was basically the backbone to our character. Um, some of my friends get a feeling that now those words are literally just a punchline uh, with the millennials. Um, you know, as, as recently as two generations ago, all of us were driven by pride in ourselves and pride in one's country. Um, it, it showed how we acted, how we presented ourselves, how we took care of ourselves and our family. That seems to have all changed. I, I see the exact opposite. I see more common, common um, values with this generation um, than any other with the silent generation, those that are age, over 70 years old now, what mm. we call the greatest generation. Uh, because, and even just thinking about that, the most recent study I did with Barnes Noble College, we had 17,000 open-ended responses. That Just imagine college students writing paragraphs, taking that time away from their phone, or maybe on their phone, <laughs> to fill out this survey and say what they really care about and their values and life lessons and what motivates them. And very consistent were words like respect, integrity, I want um, to work for managers that are role models. I want to be a role model. They do value um, 
the the open open mindedness and tolerance and diversity. And I think that that's why they're very disappointed when they go to work and they see these values on the company website or on a plaque on the wall, and that's where it ends. You know, there's no, you know, no one really does take a, take time to get to know you at work, mm. your whole self, not just your, your work self. So I think that that's where there's a rub between um, what's perceived as, as, their, as their values um, and what they, what they truly are motivated by. Well, you know, it's very simple. I mean, you, you know, I'm not going to give the keys of my car to my son unless he's sort of learnt by a professional how to drive a car. And I, and I think for these millennials to sort of take what's written on the plaque and then embody themselves in it right off the bat um, could be a little presumptuous. I think that what we need and what you're saying too is we, they need earlier experiences. They need exposure to the world because this is a win-win for all of us. If right now, you know, millennials are saying they're graduating from school and they, they don't feel confident in the mm. skills they have to be successful. And then the other side, we're saying we need them to be successful. We need them to come with these skills. Look at our economy. Look at um, global health care crisis. We need more people that are productive, excited about change, um, smart and, and, and savvy about it. So I think the solution is to help expose them to work earlier. Um, and it doesn't have to be traditional work. I, I started working at McDonald's at age 14. And I can tell you that I actually learned about customer service that way. And I translated that into later on saying, okay, that was my first foray into, into sales and client relations. So I think it's more how back in the day, there was more opportunities to be an apprentice and that, that type of shadow experience. But we're all so busy and managers today are asked to do more with less. And um, there's really an opportunity for us to expose young people, even in high school, to what their parents do, what their neighbors do, to spend time talking to professors about different jobs. Um, well, more, that's if they get off the, that's if they yeah. get off the phone, right? <laughs> now, you're obviously a pro-millennial supporter, and right. I respect that. But what do you feel that they need to do to improve themselves? Where do you find they fall short? Communication skills, for sure, because I think that both written and, and verbal, I think that that's where people get frustrated. So let's say you're someone that says, okay, I had a negative, I had a negative impression of young people know at my 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 job my workplace but you listen to our program you and I zip talking and you say okay I'm going to try to get to know them a little bit better tomorrow but there's something about how they speak or the fact that they communicate with you via text that frustrates you so much that it's a turn off so that's where I feel like um, the idea of of exposing them early on to the norms in the workplace just so that they are prepared to best make the right first impression. I, I talk to students all the time about first impressions. We all make judgments, and they say less than three seconds. So um, that, and I, I really believe that we're all struggling with detaching ourselves from our devices. I mean, just flying through the airport, walking down the streets of New York. No, but, but break it down more simply. You're talking about the first three seconds about giving an impression. Now, these millennials could at, at very best maybe go have a shower and come out in a T-shirt and jeans, and they've sort of, you know, their, their defense would be, well, I've had a shower, I've, I've worn a clean set of clothes, 
I got clean drawers. Um, what's wrong with that? Well, I think it th- th- this goes back to then even just uh, educating them mm. on the first impression, thinking about who it is they're meeting with, what's the environment. So I, I don't see all millennials walking around in jeans and hoodies, like the impression out there that they all want to look like Mark Zuckerberg. I, I, I have events where they show up, and it's a casual event, and they show up in suits because they're so um, anxious and driven to impress, and they think that that's the best way to present themselves. So there's, there's all sorts of nuances in what we're talking about. I think it's they're hungry for this learning and this education, but in their own language. So, you know, they may not pick up, um, you know, the Wall Street Journal and gather from that, oh, this is exactly how I should be presenting myself. That not may be appealing, but they are going to go on their computer, they're going to download an app and look at the BuzzFeed, and they want more, more blogs and more podcasts like this, um, telling them, okay, I've got a future, people care, there's others that are invested in me being successful, but I've got some work to do. So what is it that I do? Hmm. Now, what values do you think they'll take from us into their future? Because we obviously there's this criticism game going on back and forth, but let's try and take it to a positive angle. What will they? What do they respect from us that they will keep? I think they're concern, highly concerned about health care, and everyone's. No, no, no. I'm talking about values, not in terms of values. what we've. Yeah. Values, I think that, um, you know, in terms of, of really making sure that even though everyone thinks that they care about everything being mobile and on their phone, I'm starting to see this in the youngest of the generation, those that are under 20, that are in high school and in college right now, that they want to get to know people more. You know, what are you interested in? What are you, what are you passionate about? What are your hobbies? So I think that's a value, really just being invested in your community, um, having and connecting your local your local causes to making um, a difference around the world. No, but if you were to you give know. me three values that they would take from us, what would it be? Well, I think and, that and just simple words, just, just three simple words. They value respect. They do? Yes, yes, because I feel like they're so hungry to receive it back. You may perceive that they're not giving you the respect, but they feel like, well, it has to go both ways. What's number two? I'd say number two is um, that they value trust. Trust because, and, and trust coming from the fact that they have good intentions. I think, again, a lot of times they're not given the opportunity to share their ideas or it's misperceived that they want something because of the money or the recognition attached to it, whereas they really truly want to make a difference. So it's uh, that trust. And I think the third is that you know, their, their values are based in being authentic. So they really can see through advertising. There's a lot of brands and, and uh, people that try to talk the talk. They think they're speaking the millennial language, mm-hmm. uh, but they can see right through that. They, like, as I said, if, if you're just putting the words on a plaque on the wall or putting it on your website, but then they come to work at your company or they take your class, um, or they spend time in your organization, and you know that's not how people are treated. That's not the type of atmosphere or culture. Then right. they're out the door. So now going forward, um, once they take control, and once we relinquish ours, um, is the world going to be a more peaceful place? 
I think if anyone's going to change this world, it's going to be this generation. They're so intent on doing so. We, you know, the statistics are in just five years, 50% of the U.S. workforce is going to be millennials. A couple years after that, three quarters of the world. So that means they're going to be flooding, you know, the, our businesses. They're, we're going to be selling to them, buying from them. They're going to be leading us and running our global businesses. And I think because of those values we just talked about, you know, the trust, the respect, and the authenticity, um, and this real drive to make sure that business has a do-good factor, I think that's exactly what we need. I think that's exactly what um, business needs and and our communities need to be. I want to move away from the business angle all the time. I want to talk more about, you know, just life in general. Uh, Obviously, that involves business, but I'm looking at, you know, um, the social approach, the political approach, um, and that also in its own way will direct the business approach. Um, you, you, you actually made an interesting point that um, you see more world peace going forward. They're very interested in, in that. Uh, am I right? Yes. Um, but you know the funny that. thing in all of this, though, is um, the largest number of recruits in ISIS are from the millennials, well, unfortunately, I think that's an easy demographic to target. Mm. You think about that time in your life where you really are impressionable. I mean, that's what makes me sad, um, but it also makes me even more passionate about getting, you know, more of us that are experienced to volunteer our time, to mentor, to be available in our communities, whether it's in your, you know, whatever, wherever you practice your religion, or it's within, uh, you know, the, the lower levels of school, it's it's in your backyard. I mean, I, I am where I am today because of youth programs and leadership programs for, for you know, for teens and um, even the Girl Scouts. Um, but what's sad is the statistics that people give less to causes for girls um, than they do for causes for animals. You know, I, I absolutely support causes for animals, too, but I'm just saddened that there's a decline in contributions for programs for girls. So I think, you know, back to your point, what can they do in their community? It's ironic, but I just was in Long Island two weeks ago, and I gave a talk to a completely diverse audience. There were students, there were business owners, there were parents, there were teachers, there was media, and everybody was saying, we are losing young people from our community, from Long Island. What do we do about that? And in very simple terms, get them involved in the conversation. I always say, like, do you ever look at, um, you know, if you go to a church or if you are involved in a, um, you know, parent-teacher organization at your school or or, or where you work, mm. um, do you see young people's voices represented? Do you see people under 35, even 45, <laughs> um, actively involved? And because I think your point is right, is that I, they want to sustain their community they you know want to love and be proud of where they came from and and they've got such great ideas but sometimes they're underestimated and they're real or there really just isn't an opportunity for them to feel like they can make a difference and get involved that's they volunteer a ton but they're very skeptical about politics i get that and i and i appreciate that but i think a lot of their um misunderstandings also comes from perception they always seem so laid back that you actually think they don't care. And, and, and that, I find, um, is, is where the misunderstandings happen. But I want to talk about millennial politics. Um, and I find that very simple, actually, because young people, I think they support big government unless it costs more money. 
Therefore, smaller government, unless uh, budget cuts scratch a program they've heard of, uh, they want Washington to fix everything as long as it doesn't run anything. That's a great way to put it. Um, I think you hit on what I see as well, which mm. is they they want to make a difference. They want their voice to be heard, but they don't sometimes see how elections and public policy actually has a positive influence in changing lives. So the statistic was 23% of voters eligible between 18 years old and 29 voted last year. But you've got almost 90% who donated or volunteered in a charity. So that disconnect of, I want to make a difference, I want change to happen, but I don't understand how my vote, how these individuals, and I'm hearing, hearing them speak, how that translates into changing anything. Uh, you know what? In in March, uh, the Pew Research came out in March last year. Pew came out with a survey of millennial attitudes that seemed to offer some sort of you know paradox on 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 their viewpoint. And it said um, the first one was that millennials hate political parties more than anyone else, but they have the highest opinion of Congress. Um, they're most Young people are most likely to be single parents and the least likely to approve of single parenthood. Uh, young people voted overwhelmingly for Obama when he promised universal health care. But they oppose his universal health care law as much as the rest of the country. I think that you're speaking exactly to the where I was going earlier, which mm. is they want these things, they have these values, but then the policies and the people sometimes speaking, there's just a disconnect. It's not making sense. And part of it could be a little bit of um, their impatience. You know, I do believe that they want things quickly and rapidly, and I know that that can cause friction, and, you know, we want them to have a little bit more patience and understanding that some things take time. But you know, when you grow up with every answer at your fingertips, it's, it's, that's just a, a mindset that we're working against. So what do you mean? What do you mean? An answer on your fingertips? Uh, that they could Google anything. Like they get very. I call them horizontal problem solvers. Um, you know, you uh, there's sort of a traditional way to go about problem solving, um, even in our communities or in the government, like you're saying, or in politics or wherever. And that takes too long for them. They think that's unnecessary. You know, when I can just crowdsource my idea out to my friends and my vast network and boom, have a great answer for you and a bunch of people that are on board. Mm. Um, so it's, the, you know, the fun part of my work is still sort of translating and decoding what do we do with all these unique strengths they have and this unique perspective that they have because they grew up with technology being and being uh, connected to the globe versus just their community. So how do we translate that into helping you know, us all be more successful and happy and, and productive? And uh, it's, you know, it's a work in progress. Well, when I've spoken to some of them, and they always remember me because they want internships uh, or a job, yeah. um, and also, uh, when I talk to them about politics, it's interesting because I think they're actually right. They, they perceive politics as it currently exists in, as, as a polarized debate with no options for compromise. And they don't like the competitive and confrontational atmosphere that's created by the parties. Um, and they don't, I guess they also 
what a few of them have said to me was they don't want their beliefs and identity to be limited by a party affiliation. Definitely. Definitely. I don't think that they like to be put into a box. I think that So they, when are they going to you know, wake up then? Because that's how it is. Or they may disrupt it. Or they might figure out a way to change it. I think that's, that's what you know, they're trying to do. But I do think that there's also organizations that are, to my earlier point, trying to appeal to the way that they want to see the world, but then showing them, okay, to get there, there's, we have to kind of work with the systems that exist today. So mm-hmm. we have to figure out how to you know, drive a movement, how to um, express our opinions, lobby for certain positions, you know, to get towards that bigger change, that, you know, that, that, that bigger change in the world that they want to see. So, you know, I always call them relentlessly positive. I, I have so many stories of students that... I call them relentlessly now. relaxed. <laughs> I wish we were all much more relaxed and stress-free. So what's, the, what's wrong with that? Anyway, I think that, I think that uh, it comes off like they're so relaxed, um, but I, I'm, I'm around the exact opposite. And, and again, I've gone to campuses, to different companies, to different communities, um, and I just see a real hunger, a real desire, a real... Um, you know, I think a real desperation for, okay, believe in me. I, I remember sitting down a couple weeks ago with a student. His parents were, had immigrated to the United States, had, um, had started their own business. He came from this great household of strong values, of work and dedication, and really tight with his family and his uh, brothers and sisters, paid his own way through college, did every top internship you could imagine at, like, the biggest companies, the biggest accounting firms. Accounting was his major. He volunteered. He did all these things. And he is sitting in front of me, and he could not get a job. And all I could think is, okay, I'm looking at this golden resume. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to him share all these fantastic values. Who wouldn't want to hire him? Who wouldn't want to work with him? And you know what? As I kind of like do my out-of-body experience, like what's the disconnect here is I am, as you said, I'm passionate about millennials. So I draw that out of them. I ask the question behind the question. So what did you find? Well, I found that he's terrible communicating. He really, I mean, he was very shy, extremely awkward. Um, But I see through all that. I don't let that stop me from trying to pull out someone's best and their their potential. That's what I that's what I do. That's what I love. Um, And I was speaking to. one of the career services advisors that had observed the conversation from afar and she had noticed him in the past and said, yeah, he's just really awkward and he, he has stellar grades and a great resume and you can get internships. You can compete online to get these great internships, but then when you work with people day in and day out and they decide you know, who gets the job, it's going to be the person that has stronger communication skills, that figures out how to win over people, influence. So that's why... Um, so what do you do? Do you change the guy? I don't think it's about changing them. It's, a, it's back to that, helping them feel more confident. It's so when they come them. to you and they come to you with yeah. the problem and in your consultancy, what do you tell them? There's no hope or... No way. Absolute opposite. I can see a difference, Vip, mm-hmm. in even me just showing them that I believe in them. I get so many emails after... They pay I you to say that, that you believe in them? I was going to change my job. You were going to change your job. Well, I do believe in you too, Vip. I think that. But I'm not paying you. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that that's the key here. Doesn't everybody really, you know, benefit from someone saying, hey, I see you. I'm going to listen to you. Try to be open and, and let's have this trust between us where you share with me what you think you're good at, what you think you'd like to do. Let me use what I know. No, but then I come to you. I come to you. My grades are great. Everything is great. Um, yeah. But basically, I'm, I'm looking like Shrek in a frock. Um, and and, and, and as just as clumsy. Um, so I'm obviously going to need some form of uh, social skill tuition, uh, some, uh, cl- some classes. In, in, yeah, so do you actually conduct that? Yeah, I, like a role I actually, play? and you're going to laugh at this because of what you said about you know, getting away from business, but I talk to students, even mm. if they're any type of school, any age, about the term executive presence. I say, even if you don't want to be a CEO, even if being an executive doesn't even make sense to you, that's not your world, right. what the research has shown from the Center for Talent Innovation, um, a, group, a think tank in New York that I, that, I, that I wholeheartedly support, is that what holds people back, particularly women and minorities, is this, this, this threefold of, of qualities that make up executive presence, appearance, mm-hmm. communication, and gravitas. So appearance, when I talked to students, I was at um, Tufts University a couple weeks ago, and they were having a debate, too, about, you know, I don't want to look like a certain, certain way. I don't want to look like everybody else, and they shouldn't. But we were talking through how you have to make sure that you're dressed not to distract from your message, you don't be you know wrinkled and disheveled. <laughs> and if you're going into an environment where the majority of people are going to be in more of a business attire, and you think wearing a jeans and a t-shirt is okay, I mean that's some um, you know maturity is also involved in that as well. But you know I just try to expose them to the the pitfalls, but mm. the opportunities to to um, to help them make a better impression, um, but. This idea of just connecting with other people, they, they struggle with that. They don't like the idea of networking. So, I have to so you're them teaching on. them how yeah. to interact with the older generation, who are the ones who are going to give them a job. Right, right. So you're I mean, teaching them to meet our expectations in terms of, you know, you can set an impression in the first seven seconds. Yeah, and here's the catch, mm. um, that... I believe that if I can help get them over that hump, if I can help get them in the door, if I can help them better understand the psyche of the other generation, that's what I'm trying to do, right, is help everybody understand how each other sees the world. So if our young people today better understand the type of impression and what they need to prove to you for you to want to hire them as your intern, then when they get in the door, they can start working on their ideas because they know that they also they want to change the you know the workplace. They want to innovate, um, but you got to know, as I said, the rules of the game, and get more people on your side to listen and be available to trust that you know you should have the opportunity to give your ideas and bring your ideas. So I think this is the best approach. Um, this idea of training them and exposing them to. You know, all these things that will help them make a better impression. I see it work. Okay. Right before the show, we got a, a um, what do you call them? Tweets? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, from Brianna Mercado. And it was directed at you. She says, why is it that so many millennials are more concerned about the importance of their work than the salary that's attached? Because they have their number Rich one Rich mummies and daddies, that's why. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think, uh, well, the number one 
definition of of success to them is that personal fulfillment. They really want to make a difference. I'm telling you, it is so deep. They want to make a difference to, you keep saying personal fulfillment, so it's almost selfish. They want to fulfill themselves. Because we've been training them on this message, their baby boomer parents, that work isn't, I mean, life isn't just about work. That, you know, you could lose your job tomorrow. Look at what happened in 2008, 2009. So mm. make sure that you feel like your whole self, your personal life, your professional life, you know, they're very intent on there not being this strict divide and there not be silos in their life. So we've, kind of, we've raised them with that expectation that you could be more, you could be, um, you have this greater value to give to the world. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing mm. that we've done that. I think that we've tried to encourage this, you know, inner self-worth. Um, so, but this is why business can be even better. This is why our school system could be even stronger, is when you have the type of thinking that goes just beyond, um, you know, here's the, here's the information, that's it. Here's the information, what else can I do with this to help make a difference in communities around the world? I think that that's that whole social enterprise, that's what they're interested in. So, you know, they really just want to know that they are a part of something bigger. You know, I may come in and I'm an intern or I may come in at an entry level. And unfortunately, I have to sit in that corner cubicle and face, you know, a blank wall. But I feel like I'm someone and I feel like I want to be a part of the team and tell me what is your mission of the organization. Tell me, um, you know, what what's really behind our products or services. Tell me about, you know, what's behind our uh, our work mm. and you know let me feel like my small my role even if it is you know one of a thousand one of a hundred that it matters hmm that's a lot of work <laughs> I don't think so I think that you know what Brianna's question is about is you know why are we so driven um, by being fulfilled it's because you just know that there's more in life and you just feel like... But they want to be successful on their terms, you see. And, and, and you and I, when we were brought up, uh, it was about do the work first and worry about the success later. Here it's about I want to be successful as long as I can fit these qualities into what I do. I, th- I think that it, it, it's, not, it's not that they are saying it's just about me alone because this is the most... Uh, collaborative generation too, I and mean, they grew up with team projects at school and uh, you know group. I know. Try try using that in a corporate world. You know, you get all this thing about oh, we need to work as a team, but there's always some guy who wants the credit. Uh, there's always some true. guy who's going to be the snake in the grass. Um, yeah, and and and, and we're not teaching them guy. reality, though, are we? I mean, nobody wants to follow that guy anymore. That's what I, I can't wait for the millennial generation to disrupt business because, you know, I do see, I do, I, I mean, my company, we work with organizations where I see I see executives and leaders and even young managers mm. talk about, we did it, our team did it, and I, I wouldn't have gotten here today without them, you know, and this is a culture shift. You know, we have to be willing to give credit to the you know the person behind the person behind the person that actually did all the statistics for your PowerPoint that actually really put the whole thing together but you get to stand up there and you get to do the big presentation in front of so it's almost boss. a socialist approach to success we yeah, all work together to 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 be one 
one is not a lonely number. Yes. But I think that silos are more risky. Mm. I think silos prevent... No, no, no. I, I didn't mean that as a criticism. I was just trying to get a better understanding of it. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there is that strong sense that they are entitled. And, and there's a paradox to that because... As they grow old, look at our 401ks now, our pension plans, everything's being eroded. Uh, come their turn, they're not going to have anything. Everyone's living yeah. longer and, and things like that. How, how do, you, do you think the millennials will look after us? I, I, I think that they're very close with their parents and a lot closer than, you know, other generations. So I think that just that value of, of putting family first will override the burden, the financial burden of it. But, yeah, I think that they're inheriting a really tough world. And I, but I think that's why it's so fascinating how relentlessly positive they are. Um, and even in my travels and looking at millennials in, in other countries, too, um, certainly different countries – they have um, variances in terms of, of uh, their values for family and, and providing for their parents. I, when I traveled to South Africa and did the survey for millennials there, I mean, when, I, when we asked them, what are you saving for? What are you splurging for? You know, you kind of expect the Cosmopolitan Magazine answers to be you know, the, the bag or the purse or something superficial. I read you know, young men and women writing about buying a car for their mother mm. and then talking about what their mother did for them. And so well, there is that sense of acknowledgement and reward, you're saying? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, so I think that that's beneficial to all of us, to society, right, that they really do, um, that giving back and making a difference, that, right. you know, they want to take care of those that take care of that. But there's just so, many, so much negativity pointed at them. Sometimes you get, they can get really frustrated. Yeah, but it's a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, now, you've co-authored a book, uh, Peter Drucker's Five Most Important Questions. Now, as the millennials start to take charge of their lives and work and politics and everything in between, how does this book help them? Well, to the point we were making earlier, mm. I champion this idea to to make this, to bring about this new edition of Peter Drucker's Five Most Important Questions because we need to bridge we need something to unite mm -hmm. all the generations. Um, we need something for, for young aspiring leaders to read that's simple, but also speaks the language of more experienced leaders. It, this helps them, I think, be stronger in, in communicating and understanding the world of work. Um, so to me, it was really exciting to, to take something like Peter Drucker. If he was alive today, I think he'd be 115, 120 years old. Mm -hmm. he, been around for a long time, is known globally by a lot of great experienced leaders, but when I would share his name or give a quote in my college campus talks or when I was in front of young professionals or even MBA students, they would ha have a blank stare. They've never heard of Peter Drucker. And so that began the experiment of exposing them to these five questions, super easy. Mm -hmm. you know, what is our mission? Who is our customer? What is our customer value? What's our plan? What's our results? Super, super simple, but you can dialogue about those for days. Right. This can apply you know, to work, to your personal life, um, your individual role. So it's exciting to, to encourage a new generation of Drucker fans. Now, how can people get in touch with you? I am obviously all over social media at Joan Cool, K-U-H-L, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and our website, 
whymillennialsmatter.com, which is also where we are on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, um, Pinterest, everywhere where millennials and hopefully others live as well. Well, Joan, we come to the end. Thank you so much for the enlightenment. Thank you, Vip. It was great to speak with you. I appreciate the conversation. It was fun doing the millennial bashing. I love doing that. (laughs) Well, from now on, you're a millennial champion. I deem you that such. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead. 